Welcome to the Wild Cornwall podcast, brought to you by Cornwall Wildlife Trust. My name's Tom, and in this episode, we'll be finding out all about what amazing creatures badgers are and why we're vaccinating them in Cornwall. I spoke with Cornwall Wildlife Trust's conservation manager, Tom Shelley, who's previously been on the show talking about beavers. Tom, welcome back to the Wild Cornwall podcast. Great to have you here again. Thank you very much. Very much uh, looking forward to having a chat again, Tom. And uh, last time we spoke all about beavers. Today we're going to be talking about badgers. How's your summer been in the meantime? It's been fantastic, yeah. Um, both beavers and badgers have been keeping me busy. But yeah, very pleased to be here today to talk about the other bee in my life. Great. And, and so tell us about badgers. What makes them special creatures? Well, they're just, you know, a very charismatic animal. We see them, you know, very rarely in our environment these days. And when you do, they're often a glimpse into a hedgerow when they're running down a road or, you know, you might see them on a fantastic nighttime film on Springwatch or something like that. But I think because they are nocturnal, we don't often see them. And so when we get that experience to actually see them in the wild through our vaccination project and get close to the animal, um, is, it's really exciting. They are a fantastic animal. So what do they eat? Well, it's interesting. They're an omnivore. They're an omnivore. So they eat pretty much anything they can get hold of, you know, mushrooms. This time of year, the blackberries, you know, you'll see badger latrines full of their scat or their dung. They're called dung pits because they dig a pit and actually, you know, uh, defecate in that pit. And this time of year, they're basically a bright purple dunk uh, coloration lots of seeds in there because they've gone in there like bears do in places like alaska and really get that berry loaded into their diet the badgers do that over here with blackberries so it's so fantastic they, they do that overground they build, do build the whole yeah they, they, they do it's amazing to see mm. that and um, it's really characteristic sign that badgers are there because they mark their territories with these dung pits around the extent of the land that they sort of roam but their main food is earthworms and that's something that people don't necessarily realize they think that they might be out there you know taking mushrooms or you know being eating things like birds and things like that i mean if there was a bird lying on the floor they probably would take that but um, yeah the main thing they do is uh, dig and they love digging and you get some fantastic um little scatters and these little snuffle holes from where they go in and dig in and get those worms and uh, a worm is a fantastic source of protein you know right. really really good and obviously you see lots of blackbirds and things like that taking worms and you see the seagulls doing their little dance on the floor when they do that patter uh, to try and stimulate um, what rain sounds like to get those worms up to the surface but badgers don't do that they just dig down and get them and why have they got big teeth then because if they if they love worms and all the other things you've described why do they need the teeth they've got so the teeth um is used for you know the other things in their diet so they do take nuts so having really strong teeth allows them to you know basically get through anything in their environment that might be of interest um as i say they might might eat um, animals that have bones so they'll probably crunch through those too but they also you know are a territorial animal and so they have their territories and having teeth allows them to defend themselves from uh, other badgers in, in other territories. So what about the stripy face I mean that's everyone knows the badger because they've got these beautiful black and white stripes how, how did that evolve? Yeah, so obviously a lot of this is speculation, but people believe, um, you know, that you see this in quite a lot of mustelid animals where they have that mask and that mask, that black and white mask, especially in the dark, 
um, that contrast between the bright white hair and the jet black hair gives them that sort of mask effect. So it looks quite scary and basically the way it sort of lines down the face towards the, the mouth sort of sort of says, you know, I do bite, don't come near me. So Be it's sort of a defence mechanism. Okay. And you, you mentioned they're mustelid animals. What other species are in, in that group? So basically um, you get otters, you get polecats, things like that, weasels. All in, that, all in that group. Okay. So tell me about where they live. What's, what's, what are their sets like? So, um, basically, they create these amazing labyrinths underground and they dig big holes and basically have a D-shape entrance. And that's how you usually tell the difference between that and a rabbit hole or a fox earth, is that you look and you can see this D-shape so they've got a very flat uh, profile, their stomach. As you see them roaming through the countryside, they leave these amazing pathways through grass. And that's because they basically rub their tummies up against it as they're walking through. And they do the same when they dig their holes. And so they dig these holes and each, each sort of hole can go down a couple of metres. Some of them are three storeys deep in some of the bigger um, sets around our countryside. Absolutely massive structures. And then that can accumulate into their multiple hold sets. The odd outlier set might have one or two holes, which is usually at the extent of their territory, which they might use when they're going off on exploratory journeys across their territory, and they'll go in and have a night stop in their little B&B in their outlier set or something like that, and then they'll go back to their main set to see the rest of the clan um, after they've been out um, exploring. But also, you see that basically over time, when populations uh, expand and the territory and the hierarchy within that set changes that different badges from that that might be become you know competitive with the existing badges in that set move off and make their own sets across the environment too so there are actually four different classifi- classifications of set mm. you've got the main set which is their main home and um, that's basically the maternity set where they do have their young you then have a subsidiary set which is usually sort of similar size to a main set but often off in the distance and that can sometimes be used by a new uh, part of that population, a new family group. Between that and the actual main set, sometimes adjacent to the main set is an annex set and it's called an annex because because the population can change, you can sometimes have a bigger litter and you can sometimes have bigger family groups. That annex set can be occupied over time or abandoned over time, so it's an annex of their main set. And then the main one, as I've mentioned already, is that outlier set. You often get them in the hedgerows around Cornwall, the Cornish hedges where you kind of walk along and you'll see the odd big hole there. And you know it's not a rabbit, you know there's a badger in there. It might be one badger, it might be two badgers, but they can use that temporarily or sometimes for quite a long time. It's far more complex than, than I can guess most people would know, actually. It is. It's a complex sort of life history, the badger. And mm. as I mentioned, they mark their territories with those dung pits which is um, fantastic and uh, yeah you can sort of use that to mark the territory and there's a process called bait marking where basically they feed uh, badgers close to a set with peanuts and sometimes with sort of um, coloured pellets within there which um, they don't digest, they pass through and so then when you go to that dung pit you can actually look in there for the different colours and you can see where those badges have come from because you put different coloured pellets okay. on those different sets to see if it's come from the set you know or a new set nearby and to actually work and establish the size of that territory. Yeah, so how, so how are they doing then? Are, are they in decline in Cornwall? Or are their numbers healthy? 
what's going on? So there's been a lot of culling in the southwest. So the numbers are inevitably in decline. And also badgers are up against it with our um, traffic and uh, road network. You know, there's a lot of um, road mortality uh, that happens as a result of that each year. So the badger population is a high population in the southwest. Um, you know, there are a lot of badgers per, per kilometre squared. Um, but yes, uh, as a result of the culling, I expect their population has, has reduced. But we're very lucky on our nature reserves. We've still got a few really big, healthy sets, and it's lovely to go out and see the badgers there. Mm. And do you get to see them very often? Do you get sightings? Oh, uh, well, I think, you know, it's one of those things that with the vaccination project, you often forget how lucky you are to see the badgers because you do trap the badgers to carry out the inoculation. And uh, that's why it's quite exciting because you kind of often see glimpses of them, as I mentioned, in the night, but actually going out there early doors and seeing them in a trap and getting close up to them um, is a real sort of privileged experience. So let's talk about the vaccination, Tom. Okay. What, why does that need to happen? Why are, we, why are we as a Cornwall Wildlife Trust doing that? Well, we believe that vaccination is a long-term strategy um, for the tuberculosis uh, issue that is in cattle and in our wider um, wildlife you know so not just badgers have um, have tuberculosis in, in, in their life cycle uh, things like deers and foxes and all, all mammals can carry it as do humans so you know we wanted to vaccinate as we have done with human population instead of cull and keep the, the badgers in our environment and we want to see badgers because they are a very valuable animal to have in our environment. They create habitats for other animals. They control, you know, um, some of the uh, insect populations and things like that. So they are a real valuable animal to have, um, and they create corridors for other animals to use. So, yeah, that that's why we want to see them. And we, we also feel like the vaccination is that sort of long-term strategy because you're keeping all of the hierarchy of a set, the clan, healthy um, over time so we do it over a four-year cycle which basically allows you to sort of vaccinate all badges of that sort of uh, set because they can last usually four to five years in the wild so any sick badges that may already have TB will uh, naturally die out and you'll keep that new population especially if you're catching the cubs coming through healthy and over time like we've seen with COVID you get sort of herd immunity so basically population within that set will therefore be healthier in the long term but we've still got badgers in our environment and um, really excited to sort of see see them there. So tell me about how it works when you're vaccinating how do you go about doing it what's it like? It is a it's a lot of work vaccination um, but it's it's really exciting to do we've got some fantastic volunteers helping as well as members of staff. We've got a really good partnership in Cornwall with the Zoological Society of London. Um, they are the keen and very, very uh, active uh, party that have this scientific background behind the project, which we're very, very lucky to have. So um, the way it works is basically you go out and you find where the badgers are um, on land. It might be a wildlife trust nature reserve or it might be a private farmer. Um, we generally try and get collective land together so you can get badger populations that are living next to each other vaccinated at the same time, which helps that wider population to remain healthy. Um, you go out and you basically find the sets and um, you often sort of think, right, this is a good place to put the traps. So you go and get your traps, um, which are fully cleaned. Um, biosecurity measures are really important, badger vaccination, obviously, because of the disease prevalence. 
Um, you put that trap in the ground near that set, um, usually nearby, um, near one of their pathways, but not too close to the set, a place where they're running past, basically. And you um, open that trap up, wire that trap open, and then you leave a stone there. And that stone is has to be a certain shape, and you often go around the countryside looking for those badger stones. <laughs> and basically, it has to be a certain shape and size that is flat in profile, but heavy enough that only a badger could flip it over. Mm-hmm. Because you underneath that um, stone, you put peanuts. And these peanuts basically um, are a bit of a catnip for badgers. They absolutely love um, love peanuts. So once you put that um, that bait underneath that stone, then the badgers can find it later on in the evening once they've come out of their set. And once they start taking that bait, which usually can take a, a day, sometimes two, to, to kind of initially take that bait, you move that stone further and further back into the trap. So you start with it on the outside of the trap by the entrance, and you move it further and further back over about a week to 10 days. And that's why you need fantastic vaccination um, volunteers. And also the farmers have been helping us, which is great because it's their land. And we're very lucky when they help us out doing it. And once those badgers are taking that bait from the back of the trap, we know that they're confident to go into that trap. And we can then trigger the trap. And basically the way you do that is you, you set it with um, some string and some uh, wire that you tie around that stone. And then it's got a very simple mechanism at the front. It's completely harmless. It's a little clasp that just holds the trap door open. And when the badgers go in and dig that stone, they move that string and that string pulls the clasp and then that trap comes down and closes the end of the trap. And then they're sat in that trap. And uh, yeah, they're quite happily sat in there. I mean, obviously no animal likes to be trapped, but the best thing from the vaccination point of view is we get out there early doors. And when I say early doors, you know, you're setting your alarm for sort of an hour before sunrise so really early so in the height of summer you know you've got a half past two three a.m alarm clock um going off and then you're off down the road and you're sort of first light just when it's sort of light enough to see the badgers in their traps you go out there and you do your inoculation and um, let the badgers out and they kind of run out and go down the holes back into their sets and they've had that vaccination carried out so you know, that's wildlife and it's lovely to sort of see it, but you are thinking about their welfare and not keeping them in those traps too long. Too long. And you must have been taught, I mean, a special experience, but probably quite exhausting for you and, and the volunteers and the farmers who are working on it. You do. You do long hours. Um, you get very good at having a siesta in the middle of the day as well, <laughs> flipping your uh, your cycle to become a bit more nocturnal like the badgers. But um, yeah, a lot of hard work goes into this. The tools required, the digging of the traps, the carrying of the traps, the walking through the countryside. But yeah, we're very lucky that we've got sort of vehicles to use, four-wheel drives, and we've got a band of volunteers that are happy to come out and help us catch those badgers. Mm. And let's go back in time a bit then, Tom. In 2018, Cornwall Wildlife Trust launched an appeal for vaccination. Can you just tell us a little about the story of what's happened since then and, and whether that appeal was successful? We're very lucky, yes. So we, we set that appeal up to vaccinate on more of our nature reserves. And we have been doing that ever since. Um, but it kind of stimulated a lot of interest in vaccination within Cornwall. It was already going on. Um, Zoological Society of London, Zebesel were doing this down in West Penwith, which was you know a fantastic project in its own right. And we're very lucky to have them in the county um, and various people from the Wildlife Trust and ZSL have been talking to farmers about TB on the TB eradication group, which has been set up by DEFRA. So lots of conversations being happening about 
how badges fit into that and how we can try and help with that and take badges out of the equation basically um, because we want to keep the badges but we also need to understand you know how many badges have TB and it's a very small percentage you know it's usually only 10% of the badges sometimes people feel like every badge has got TB but that's not the case so we just need to make sure that we get that badger population healthier um, and that's why vaccination is really important and so yeah basically that project got a lot of interest and we had a fantastic opportunity in mid Cornwall with a collective group of farmers and Imrus, the, the, clay, um, the clay company, to come together and work on a project which we've called the mid Cornwall project and we're very lucky to have those farmers there that are contributing financially themselves to that project as well um, and yes collectively we've been now vaccinating that for four years and uh, we've got a big area there, you know, thousands of acres all together around that Imrus land, that big clay country land, those, you know, snowy mountains in the mm -hmm. middle of Cornwall. Lots of badgers can hide away in some of those nooks and crannies and that land around there, which is relatively um, sort of isolated and there's no public access. But we have found the badgers there and we've been vaccinating them. And we've been also doing blood sampling. And this is where ZSL really come in because they're the scientists behind all that. And they sedate the badges and they take all the blood swabs and samples and use all it, scientific information to really help um, understand um, how many badges have got the TB. Um, if the inoculation works, because year on year we catch the same badges and sometimes, and the way we can tell that is with a microchip that we put into that badger, and then basically you go back, catch the badges at that set, and you use a microchip scanner. And if you found the same badger again, you can join the dots and say, okay, brilliant, this is one we caught last year, it was a cub last year, now it's a, you know, a, a more of an adult badger, we've um, used the, the sort of uh, vaccination, and we've used the... Um, you know the, the data to sort of show that that uh, badger still doesn't have TB so hopefully that shows that the the inoculation works which is again scientific information which is really valuable when you're doing a project like this yeah and and has the campaign had any sort of significant um, impact on on the debate about culling it certainly has yeah so we've seen in the press in the last sort of 18 months that DEFRA is certainly looking at you know vaccination as being an exit strategy they put it to culling so reducing and removing culling from their sort of tb eradication policy and using vaccination instead which is great and we've had some brilliant conversations um professor rosie woodruff who is the you know the lead um scientist on the zsl work has been talking nationally with defra for very a very long time many years about how to reduce you know um badges uh in terms of the, the prevalence of TB in badgers and also show that vaccination is a better long-term strategy and that science which we've been gathering recently in Cornwall through the Mid-Cornwall project and the work they've been doing down in West Penwith as well as additional projects that have sprung up as a result of the interest in badger vaccination across the county has allowed us to sort of see that change and see these national headlines to show that the government is promoting vaccination now and we're really pleased to see that so we just need a bit more funding from DEFRA um, to get that really happening a bit of a catalyst really so more people start to do vaccination and we can see it being rolled out on a wider basis to help the farmers predominantly but also you know help the badgers because we want to keep them in our environment there are lots of badgers still around um, and, and we want to see that population healthy and sustaining so it sounds to me, Tom, like you're, you're positive 
but there's still more work in 2022 there's still more work to be done absolutely a lot of these things you know there's positive stories but there are only certain areas within Cornwall and badges are across wider Cornwall and there are lots of places where where culling may have occurred but they haven't um, you know eradicated TB because there's still TB left in cattle and you know cattle to cattle transmission is a big part of the TB um, situation so badgers are already going to be there we want to make sure that they're healthy but we also want to make sure that they're there in our environment because they're a native species intrinsically part of that environment they help out other animals and they're very charismatic and in their own right deserve to be there so the more money that we can generate um, to actually work and carry on vaccinating in new areas where DEFRA funding might not be available gives us that opportunity to vaccinate more badges so they have that long-term um, strategy to take badges out of the TB equation and keep badges healthy and thriving in our environment in Cornwall. I'm sure that lots of people listening to this will, will be thinking, you know, what can I do to help? Um, you know, I want to see a Cornwall where badges are thriving. What, what sort of things would you say they could do? Well, obviously, there's always the financial side of things, so we can buy more tools and you know support more work going on across Cornwall, but also volunteering, as I've mentioned, it's a lot of manpower between um, vaccination and, and the work we do. So if we can get more people helping out, um, then please get in contact if you're interested in vaccinating and interested in seeing badges, but also interested in you know, carrying out that exciting work in our, our countryside to help with this big project in Cornwall. Tom, I'm going to draw this to a close, but I want to, to end with a question, which I'm going to be asking all of our guests. Okay. I, I want you to imagine that you, um, you end up getting stranded on our Lou Island Nature Reserve. Oh, yes, please. Uh, you're there for a year. A year. And um, you've got, you know, you've got a, all the basic things you need, food, water, but, but you can take four things in particular. So you okay. can have a book, an album, you've got a record player to play it on, uh, a luxury item of some kind and a year's supply of uh, your choice of Cornish edible. So what, what would be your four things? So let's start with a book. Okay, fantastic. Well, I think, you know, I, I feel very privileged to work in nature. And so I get surrounded by that and I experience a lot of that. But I think, you know, outside of that, I often look up, especially in places like Lou Island, where the skies are so dark and you see some fantastic stars. So I'd have an, an astronomy book or something like that with me, a stargazing book, so I can sort of look at, out from the island and imagine what's up there in that universe of ours. Sounds like a good one. What about an album? An album? Well, um, I kind of keep it on the same lines, really. I kind of uh, often like listening to sort of... Um, sort of digital electronic music um but i think some of some of the old old you know old school electronic music so maybe like a a catalog of some of the, the music from the, the 90s or something like that with that sort of electronic side of things but quite chilled out at the same time yeah on that on that chilled out island vibe yeah, yeah. absolutely and the luxury item luxury item well i think over there you kind of just need to make sure you've got some soap don't you i don't know so <laughs> i think you're probably a nice right. plastic free uh, shampoo bar or something like that am i allowed one of them i think that sounds like a good idea yeah <laughs> and what about your cornish edible cornish edible well i i'm, I'm hoping they've got an oven on uh, on Lou Island, you know, to make sure that I can have a hot pasty. I'm not a big fan of a cold pasty, to be honest, but uh, if, it, if it can't be a hot pasty, I guess um, it's got to be 
some just some good quality Cornish beer. You know, I'd be able to drop that in a rock pool overnight, and that'd be nice and cold. That'd so cool. a good set off stool, like a proper job or something like that. We only <laughs> need one beer really, and you're on your way. Very good. Well, Tom, thanks so much for your time today, and, and for all that you're doing for badges in Cornwall. Thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye. That's all for today from the Wild Cornwall podcast. Keep your eyes out for another episode next month. And in the meantime, if you want to support our work, head over to our website, www.cornwallwildlifetrust.org.uk to see how you can get involved. Becoming a member takes only two minutes. Goodbye for now.